Welcome again to another edition of Lost in Science Half an Hour on your radio where we talk all things sciencey. And it is one of my favourite times of the year. We did have the Australian Eureka Prizes um, awarded recently, but even more fun than that is the increasingly poorly named first annual Ig Nobel Prizes, which they call it every year, uh, was announced last week. Um, Ten big winners uh, across all of the fields of science and and various other things too. Uh, Chris, they make up categories. Yeah, they always make up some categories. <laughs> yeah, um, there, there's a there's an art prize this year. Uh, there's there's various various you know there's a peace prize which I think they often give out. Um, I think the one last year for the peace prize was that uh, that humans evolved beards to stop getting punched in the face. I think was the winner last year, but. There's another peace prize this year, and we're going to go into some of the details of of the winners and why have they been awarded these uh, these coveted prizes uh, once again this year. We should explain what the Ig Nobel prizes are as well, I guess, as part of this. Do you, do you have a, a brief explanation, Chris, that you uh, could well, share with us? As the name suggests, it's kind of a parody Nobel prizes. Um, but their tagline is, what is it? Research that makes you laugh and then makes you think. Or is that a Simpsons line? I don't know. But the point is that it is stuff that is kind of sounds silly, but there is real science there, real depth to it. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting from that point of view. And that's why, one of the reasons I'm really a big fan of the Ig Nobel Prize is because it is kind of sort of the lighter side of science in some ways, but it addresses some profound and important questions, really. Um, I think, yeah, I think one of the things I, I enjoy about it is that these pieces of research do seem silly on the surface. And then when you think about it, you go, well, nobody's done the research before mm. now, so why would we assume that we know the answer to this question? Um, I've got a few uh, favourites that I've pulled out of the, uh, of the, of the, the winning lineup. Um, and I know Chris has got some as well. So, um, look, just stay tuned and we'll cover all of the Iggy business you need to know for this year. talking uh, about the Ig Nobel Prizes for 2022 on Lost in Science. And it's a huge field this year and some really interesting research has made the cut in the Iggies, including the 2022 Ig Nobel Peace Prize, which is shared by researchers from nine countries. So they published a paper um, and yeah, collaborative research, uh, I think it's got a lot of potential to help people uh, or alternatively make some people worse off if they apply their findings in a less favourable way. So this group published uh, a paper in the Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society B and the paper was called Honesty and Dishonesty in Gossip Strategies, a Fitness Interdependence Analysis. 
So what they actually did um, was they looked at the effect of gossip on social groups and they've developed an algorithm to help people figure out when to be honest and when to be dishonest when they're gossiping. Well, hang on. And so this is, this, seem like is a... this pro-gossip or is it like, are they looking at whether gossip is a good thing or a bad thing? Was that irrelevant to the... To the they're, study. they're basically they've they've basically accepted that people gossip and they've looked at the effects of gossip on social groups. So they're basically saying people are going to gossip. People use gossip in particular ways to position themselves within social groups, and depending on who you're gossiping to and depending on who you're gossiping about, uh, you can have a negative or a positive effect on the person you're talking to and on their opinion of you as a person as well. So it's, it's, a, really, uh, it's a really interesting study that they put together. And they did, they did this using um, various uh, models and they basically turned them into games. So they were testing people and, and seeing what their reactions were to this. But basically what they, you know, mo most people probably like to think that they don't gossip at all. But the reality is that gossip is a commonly used tool for creating group bonds, which society kind of relies on these group bonds to, to sort of uh, be a cohesive, um, active, you know, active society. Um, but if people spread dishonest gossip, it can affect their social groups in negative ways in both in the reception from the people they gossip to and in the acceptance of the people they're gossiping about. So it's, it's, it might seem obvious that telling the truth isn't always the best strategy. Um, you know, most people would probably say, oh, honesty is the best policy. You know, we've all been taught that, but we know realistically that's not always the case. Yeah, there's the concept of white lies, you know, the um, yeah, the little white lies that you tell to grease the wheels of making yeah, people and, feel better. Yeah, you know, and there, there, are, there are things that you would avoid saying just to, you know, to, to save people's feelings or... Uh, but, but the thing about the gossip is that <laughs> Usually it is, it is to either make someone else look bad or make you look better as a, as a uh -huh. person. So there, there is definitely a political angle to this. Um, so, you know, in some situations, a lie has more benefit than telling the truth. And this is basically what they've, they've found is that there are, that they've, they've kind of proven that there is a way to know which situations you should be telling the truth and which situations you should be uh, maybe glossing over the truth a little bit. Um, interesting paper and, and you know, really um, quite in-depth when I read through it. It goes into some pretty uh, pretty heavy concepts in there. Um, but, you know, it, it, is, it is interesting that, you know, gossip is something that people do all the time and probably not something they think about all that much, but these guys have really taken it to a new level. Are you telling the truth about all this, though? This sounds like a rumour that you're spreading. I don't know whether we should believe I, any of this. I wouldn't gossip about the Ig Nobel Prizes. They, they make enough fun of themselves without me uh, joining in there. There, there are more uh, serious issues that, that have been awarded this year. So the prize for medicine um, for this year went to a Polish team who were researching a serious problem in cancer treatment um, caused by some commonly used chemotherapy drugs. So chemotherapy treatments often have side effects on non-target tissues. So the, the chemotherapy is supposed to be, you know, uh, affecting the cancer cells and, and sort of, you know, um, 
preventing the growth of cancer tumors and that sort of thing. Um, but obviously other tissues get affected by these, by these chemotherapy drugs. And there's a, a, a condition called oral mucositis. Uh, and it's a frequently reported problem in, uh, in cancer patients getting chemotherapy, which results in ulcers and inflammation in their mouth because the, the mucous membranes in our mouths are very sensitive to a whole lot of um, these chemotherapy drugs. So this makes it very difficult for patients to eat, reduces their quality of life, and it also increases the risk of secondary infections in the, in the lesions and ulcers they can get in their mouths as well. So one of the ways that, that has been used in the past to prevent this uh, oral mucositis from being a problem is called cryoprotection. So they use cold substances to restrict blood flow. So they basically have constricted blood flow in the blood vessels in the oral mucosa, which then doesn't absorb as much of the, uh, as much of the chemical, as much of the medication, so reduce the, uh, the, the problems arising from that. So commonly this is done with ice chips or ice cubes, um, but the researchers in this case decided to use something cold, but much more pleasant for the patient. And they found that by giving the patients ice cream during their treatment, they experienced lower incidence of oral mucositis. So the the um, control group had nearly twice the incidence of oral mucositis than the people who got the ice cream. So, so it's just I, the, I just is think it the cold of the ice cream that's doing it? Is it yeah, it's basically yeah. just the cold of the ice cream and it was a more enjoyable way of keeping it cold than just shoving an ice cube in your gob while yeah. you're getting treatment. So, you know, very nice outcome for everyone. Um, I didn't, couldn't find out uh, what flavour of ice cream, which may or may not be important. It's hard to know with these, with these radical treatments. Um, so we'll have to maybe, you know, follow up with, on that one later. Just wanna dance with my show
to the other there is an art history prize uh, awarded to a pair of researchers who publish their paper in the journal of ethnopharmacology the paper is titled a multidisciplinary approach to ritual enema scenes on ancient maya pottery wait wait wait, wait. So what 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 <laughs> A multidisciplinary approach to ritual the, enema scenes. Yeah, okay, so what are we talking about here? So there's apparently this was a common enough practice that it was recorded on ancient Mayan pottery, people getting ritual enemas, and there's multiple examples of this in the art of the ancient Mayan uh, civilization. So uh, they, don't, they don't really know what was going on they don't know what the ritual was involving they don't even know what was the what was the substance that was being given in an enema but there is enough evidence to show that this was a ritualistic practice on uh in ancient mayan civilization and they think it was probably some form of intoxication ritual they yeah i think i saw something were... about that where they, they speculate it was like hallucinogenic drugs that were perhaps being more readily absorbed through yeah that part of the body than maybe oral route so yeah so they um they're, they're, they're not sure if it was they think maybe it was tobacco could have possibly been alcohol or it could have been one of the other sort of hallucinogenic substances that gets used in ritualistic purposes but you know um a worthy uh <laughs> field of endeavor for the uh for the ethnopharmacologists out there to uh to study the ancient mayan pottery but lastly i wanted to give credit uh the, the last the last winner that i really wanted to um uh give a shout out to the work of magnus jens from scandinavia who took out the ig nobel prize for safety engineering by creating a very unique crash testing device so uh, based on the number of collisions between vehicles and Alsace-Alsace, also known as the Moose, in Scandinavian countries, Magnus decided the best way to research the effect of these collisions was to build a Moose crash test dummy. So he, uh, he observed captive elks in the zoo and consulted with a veterinarian, uh, as well as observing a recently deceased elk to enable him to construct a moose replica, which was then used to crash cars into. <laughs> so um, being Scandinavian, they, uh, they crashed two Saabs and a Volvo into the crash test moose. Uh, and the results apparently are very similar to the uh, impacts of real mooses with cars based on previous observations so he's, he was you know he's actually doing uh, a valuable service if you do live in a country where mooses are uh, a traffic hazard um, then I think Magnus Jen's work will will prove invaluable in uh, building building safer moose proof vehicles for us to drive around in and and while we're on that you may think 
that you're not going to run into a moose anywhere around uh, in the Southern Hemisphere. They are mainly found in uh, North America, in Northern Europe, and in parts of Asia and Siberia. But they did import mooses into New Zealand as well. So just like with a bunch of other things that people thought was a good idea to bring into New Zealand, they did release some mooses into New Zealand. And, uh, and apparently they haven't been sighted since the 1950s, but there is other evidence that they're still around in, a loose moose. in wilderness areas. A loose moose in New Zealand, yeah. Or several, obviously, if they're still breeding too. Do we need to build um, crash test kangaroos for the Australian context? Oh, look, I think that's probably worth doing. I think we should definitely um, look into that, the, the crash test kangaroo mm. uh, for future, for future Ig Nobel Prizes. Maybe we, can, maybe we could get in the running for next year, Chris. Mm. In the history of science, novel and innovative concepts occasionally arise from sudden left-field inspiration. Nothing shocks me. I'm a scientist. But I'd rather be remembered for my own small contributions to science. As a scientist, I don't want to prejudice my experiment. I'll let you know in the morning. I am a scientist! I think they're scientists. I bring scientists. You bring a rock star. Across Australia, on the Community Radio Network, you are listening to Lost in Science. Well, Stu, I've also been reading some of the research that has been uh, recognised in this most spectacular fashion, and a couple of ones caught my eye. Um, These are, I guess, more in the field of obvious research uh, rather than surprising research so um, people basically doing studies to find to explain things that kind of yeah I think we already knew but they're actually looking at what's the mechanisms behind them and yeah delving a bit deeper Um, of course one of them is the physics prize I can't go past the physics prize which this year was awarded to um, a couple of different researchers who studied how ducks swim in formation. So one of them is Frank Fish, who published his work in 1994, and the other is a Chinese team who, I believe they're mostly from China, who did their work in, um, uh, just in last year it was published. And so basically they're looking at, um, yeah, basically, you know, the old, the stereotype thing of the mother duck at the front and the baby ducks behind and trying to look at why this is happening. And no surprise, it's easier for the baby ducks to swim when they're behind their mother. Um, Frank Fisher. So there is, there is actually, there is actually some science to getting your ducks in a row. It's, it's good to know. Well, it's, there is some science, but, um, it's not settled, I guess, because they've got two different explanations, these two different teams. Um, the older work kind of likened it to um, cyclists, you know, riding in formation, that you're kind of in the slipstream of the cyclist in front of you. And his calculations kind of led him to include the last duck in the row, pretty much can you just coast along in the slipstream of the ducks in front of them. Uh, the fact that there's this kind of low pressure area behind the the duck formation, whereas the the more recent research they looked at the the waves that are produced um, by the mother duck in the water and saying if the ducks are at just the right spot, they're essentially being carried along by the waves, um, and so it's a kind of different effect. Whether it works out to be exactly the same is not really clear. Um, so maybe more research is needed in practice to figure out what is actually going on with the ducks. I was I was not expecting there to be any controversy about ducks swimming in a row, but apparently it doesn't really matter what you're researching. Well, you know, you'll find, but, you'll find you'll find alternative explanations. 
That's right. See, I mean, the, the high-level thing is that, yeah, it's easy for them to swim. That's, they, they agree on that. But the exact physics of it is a bit more complicated. <coughs> Sorry. The other one, which again is also kind of stuff that you already knew, is was the economics prize. And yes, economics may be, uh, you know, on the borderline of science, but this was some mathematical modeling using techniques and statistical physics. So I'm going to count it. And this was an Italian team who studied, uh, well, their paper is called Talent versus Luck, the Role of Randomness in Success and Failure. Uh, and essentially what they pointed out is that if you think about talent and ability in the population, it normally follows kind of a bell-shaped curve. You know, think about intelligence, for instance. Uh, you know, the average IQ is defined to be 100. You have and then equal distribution either side of that. You don't get people with an IQ of 1,000 or something like that. You know, it basically it tapers off in a nice, neat bell-shaped curve. Whereas the, the kind of the actual success that we see in the real world follows a completely different probability distribution. It's what they call a power law. This is a particular a Pareto uh, distribution where you have many more people at the bottom end than you do at the top end. This is like the famous income inequality that we see in the real world, which is getting worse and worse as we're aware. And so they're trying to explain these kind of disparate uh, kind of outcomes that you have, you know, the, this idea, we, we all like to think that the, the more talented you are, the more you'll be rewarded um, versus what we see in the real world where the distribution of rewards doesn't match that of talent. So what they did, they did some mathematical modeling. They, um, they had basically a, a model essentially with, with random people with talent distributed amongst them randomly in this kind of bell-shaped curve. And then they hit them with uh, randomly with either lucky events or unlucky events and uh, to see what the effect of these these events were. So if you got a lucky event and you were talented enough, you could essentially double your kind of reward from that, whereas if you've got an unlucky event, it would cut you down a bit. And what they found was they managed to reproduce the kind of the inequality that we see in the real world. But um, most importantly, it was not the most talented people who were the best, best rewarded. Um, it was people around the average because there were just simply a lot more people around the average. So it was more likely that someone in the average would get the, the benefit of the lucky thing. So the luck turned out to be much more important than talent in this model. Uh, so this is ignoring, I should say, this is ignoring kind of other structural factors that make inequality as well. This is just looking at everything else being equal. Why do you get unequal outcomes? So yeah, that's essentially what they found. And they managed to essentially reproduce what we see in the real world. Um, and then they tried to, I guess, speculate on how you could kind of overcome this. Because um, this is something that, like, you know, obviously we look at income as a big thing, but you see this in all kinds of fields as well. You can see it in, say, um, you know, music, not necessarily the most talented musicians are the most successful. Um, you see it in, um, you know, in sports, obviously, and you also see it in science, in the way that we reward, um, we award research funding and we award prizes and those sort of things. And they, they pointed out repeatedly in their paper that the way we award, give out prizes, essentially, is kind of a naive meritocracy and that we give basically the rewards to people who have already got rewards. So someone, for instance, has published a lot of papers and has a lot of research success, we give them more funding. So basically, because they've, they've had more luck, they get lucky. 
they get luckier. So it compounds that way. Um, so it's, it's, it's a really it's a really interesting observation that 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 it works that way because yeah, it, you know, pe- people have tried to figure out more equitable ways of giving funding for all sorts of things, not just for science, but in all sorts of other endeavors as well. And there's not really uh, a good, you know, there's not a, not really a fair way to, to organize it. So you yeah. kind of just got to um, accept that that's how it works, I guess. Well, so this is an, an idealized model where there is such a thing as talent that they can give a number to. But just like the real world, you can't actually measure this talent. So you can't actually know how good someone is. Or so the way we do it in the real world is we look at what they've achieved and we use that to kind of a proxy for their ability. And that's where you get this thing that, you know, if most of their success is due to luck, then all you're doing is basically, as I said, giving them more luck. Um, so this this actually isn't the first time these uh, these some of these researchers have won an Ig Nobel Prize. They had won it in 2010 for demonstrating mathematically that organizations would become more efficient if they promoted people at random. Um, so it's no surprise, I guess, from that, that one of their, their strategy, their strategies for like overcoming this, this problems with our way we award things is to give out prizes at random. Or the most effective was to basically to give everyone the same amount of money, essentially. Um, instead of, uh, you know, giving more money to those who already have money, or even just, you know, larger amounts to randomly selected people. If you just give everyone the same amount, then you distribute it more equally, you're going to get more likely that the talented people are going to get uh, the benefit, which is kind of what they assume we want in this outcome. Um, so that, that was their, their main strategy. They also looked at a couple of different things, like trying to, you know, shift the probability distributions. Like if you educate everyone more then you can essentially increase the talent of the the population across the board and also you can give the the most talented people more of a boost so by education you can improve the the benefit that people get from their talent uh another one is they said just simply to give more opportunities give more lucky opportunities and then obviously you'll get better outcomes as well um again these things sound obvious but Yes, they're trying to find a way to fix the broken system that we live in, which, um, you know, points to them for trying, I think. But uh, look, it is an interesting insight that, um, as I said, there's a lot of other kind of factors that affect the way that we see the world is the way we see. But it's interesting to note that mathematically, it just comes out from the random chance of the way that good things happen to people randomly. And it can explain why, you know, the most, the, the people who should seen the most deserving don't always have the most luck. I just hope that they um, didn't accept their prize just to make it fair on everyone. <laughs> That's a very good point. Well, Sydney, this is the second time they've won. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, they're being I mean, rewarded. They're it's compounding. Proving their own point. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> And that is all we have time for this week on Lost in Science. Thank you for joining us in Getting Lost. If you have any questions or suggestions for the team, get in touch with us by email. We are lostinsci at gmail.com. You can send cheap tweets to us at lostinscience1 on Twitter, or you can find us on the ubiquitous Facebook 
Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the land of the Kulin Nation and is broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find a podcast version of the show on 3cr.org.au or you can tune in the way you did this week when we return in our usual time slot to get Lost in Science! Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.